This is a podcast of honest, raw, authentic conversations about how to live a hopeful life. Not in the rainbows and unicorns kind of way. Oh no. We're talking about hard stuff. Cancer, loss, fear, and much more. And also the good stuff. Love, laughter, connection. We're going to take time together to talk about how to find light in the darkness. I'm Lara McGregor, founder of Hope Scarves and the Hopeful Life Project. Join me as I navigate my own way of living joyfully with a terminal illness and talk to others who have also found a way to live a hopeful life. Today, all of us are living in the midst of added stress and anxiety, a global pandemic, polarized politics, racial injustice, economic uncertainty, not to mention just everyday run-of-the-mill challenges of simply being human. Ugh. I mean, I'm overwhelmed, and I know so many others are too. So I invited my really smart friend, Shelly Sowell, a licensed professional clinical counselor, to help us process and reflect. Every time I talk with Shelly, over coffee or even in the grocery store aisle, I leave inspired. So head out on a walk, pour yourself a cup of coffee, and join Shelly and I in a conversation about resilience, connection, and simply living a hopeful life. Hi, I'm Shelly Sowell, and for me, living a hopeful life means being mindful, being connected, and creating my life in a sustainable way. Shelly, welcome to A Hopeful Life Podcast. Oh, Laura, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I thought it'd be fun to invite her onto the podcast because we are all living in a bizarre, uh, uncertain world with the pandemic, added anxiety and stress that none of us really could have prepared for, um, both individually and specifically as parents. So I have the chance to volunteer with Shelly on some committees at school and chat over coffee. And I always leave a little bit more at peace after talking with her. So I thought I would share that. And I just thought maybe we'd just sit down and and it's like we're having coffee with all of our listeners and just talk about some of the things that are hard right now in this weird reality we're living in in the midst of a global pandemic. Oh, Yes, I um it's like we can't get away from this conversation. And and we shouldn't, right? I mean, it, the way to work through this is to dive in and really see what's happening, but um I feel like especially this week, maybe the last couple of weeks, I'm noticing more and more people just hitting their wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like We've been in this for so long and now it's super cold and it's just uh, the vaccines coming out, but it's not coming out the way people thought or intended. And it's just people can almost see what's on the other side. Mm. And we want to be there. there. Like we want to be there, but we like can't. It's like a glass like wall that we're like trying to like bang on. And you're so right about like conversations come back to this. I feel like every time I chat with a friend or I'm trying to, you know, plan something, it's like the conversation comes back to this like heavy weight. 
that we are all carrying. And you and I share the experience of carrying that as parents and um, just like muddling through this time, which, you know, many of the other conversations we've had have been guests that have faced these like traumatic, hard things, but that the everyday experience of life, not really like a significant, huge trauma, can also be very anxiety producing and stressful, especially right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so a couple of levels you're naming, it's um, we're under a cultural trauma. I mean, it's Gosh, we didn't prep on how open uh, I could be, so I'm just going to be open. <laughs> be open. This, if this <laughs> podcast is anything, it's open. That is one thing that for sure, um, I, you know, it's a space to just have conversations, meaningful, unedited, beautiful conversations about vulnerability and our shared experience right now. Well, the funny thing you can't see is that I have all these notes around me because I was nervous about, oh my gosh, I'm going to miss something because I'm an over-preparer. And my friends listening to this will just laugh because they know when they, like I will have a hundred notes and then I will not look at any of them. So I just push them all aside. Um, so so to your point, I, um, I'm a trauma specialist. That's my original training. Mm-hmm. And I got into that because of my own trauma. And so from that, from that lens of developmental psychology and the traumas we face, the thing is, no matter what anybody was going through prior to pandemic, we are all living through some level of a cultural trauma right now. Mm-hmm. And it's the pandemic. It's the way the pandemic was handled. It's the bitter election cycle we had in this country. It's the, you know, the, the different protests we've seen, the racial inequality we've seen. I mean, we have been through a lot mm-hmm. in the last few months. Um, mm-hmm. And so, again, none of us, I don't think anybody can ignore it, mm-hmm. right? It's like we have this, we have, we don't really have much of a choice. You either kind of suffer and swim in the, in the what, in the survival mode, or you, we start to face it and work with it. And don't you think that maybe this, part of this overwhelming like shared burden we're experiencing is that we're all just like putting one foot in front of the other and muddling through it. And there wasn't like, there was like this one big thing that happened to us. It's this combination of all these different layers that we all react to differently based on the way we approach the situation. But it's like the burden has just gotten heavier right now. And even just like acknowledging it almost is a little bit freeing. Like just to be like, this is why you are feeling so stressed out. Like it's okay. There's a lot that you're processing right now all the time. And and just like acknowledging it and the shared experience is like the first step in like starting to handle it better, maybe. Is that oh, a thing? Yeah. In, is that a thing in professional <laughs> clinical counseling world? Like <laughs> Yes, it is. Because like I often say, misery loves company, right? <laughs> <laughs> um but what in my field we talk about like the way to work with stress and trauma is awareness. And and so mm-hmm. if we can start to witness and see what's happening, then we have more conscious choice around Mm. it. Mm. And I was laughing a second ago because 
I've had more phone calls in the last um, few months where somebody starts the conversation. I always do a discovery call with clients to make sure we're a fit because I can't take everybody, right? Mm -hmm. And so on that call, um, I'll say, well, tell me a little bit about what's going on. And, And I always get this line lately of, I'm anxious, I have a lot of anxiety, and I have no idea why. <laughs> yeah. And and so that is, it's amazing how many of us are walking around with, I'm anxious and I don't know why. But what I have people do is put it, you know, kind of make an informal quick pie chart. Mm. Like, let's name all the things. Let's just name all the things in your life. And then let's put it in this pie chart according to how much energy is going to each piece. Mm. And every time people miss about half of what's going on in their lives. <laughs> yeah, because they're just like doing it. Like they're just like going through the motions, not realizing that the motions are what's causing the stress maybe. Mm. Yeah, the busyness. That's uh-huh. definitely a huge part of it. We are the we are busy people in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, we keep busy as a distraction. We make money off of being busy. We take pride and success in being busy and it's killing us. Mm-hmm. Well, and maybe that just that like reality is also what has been hard for people because as life got less busy in the pandemic, they all of a sudden didn't know <laughs> what to do. <laughs> and like that, like they couldn't avoid the feelings with the busy. And so that was even hard, right? Like, taking away all these pieces that were sometimes maybe their way of coping. I don't know. Oh, it's just, I just think I'm just so glad to like carve out time to just like acknowledge this because I do think that this is something that so many people are just juggling right now. Is this like, it's hard. There's so much hard right now to doing life. Even if you're not, I mean, everybody has different experiences and that are making that's making it hard, right? And one of the things that I feel like sometimes when I talk to people right now, they say they like want to dismiss their hard. And I think they say that to me because they're like, I mean, I'm sorry to complain. I mean, you have stage four cancer. I shouldn't be stressed out about this. But I always want to tell people like, don't dismiss your feeling because it somehow doesn't relate to how hard my feeling is. Like everybody's allowed their own level of anxiety and overwhelmingness right now, regardless of how it compares to someone else, right? Yeah, it it feels like I'm always saying to people, suffering is relative. It's relative to the life you've had, the traumas you've had, the the upbringing, the people who raised you, the environment you're in, the color of your skin. I mean, it, it's just... There's so many factors that come into play that to compare ourselves, our suffering to somebody else's suffering, there, there is a moment of perspective taking, right? There is a helpful perspective taking. And there's the space of when we get into our healing, it doesn't help us to compare and dismiss. Mm-hmm. So how, how, do we, how do we do this? How do we move from anxiety and stress to resiliency. This is one of my favorite topics. Um, so, so I have a lot of background in Buddhist psychology and I love it. I love the contemplative arts and sciences because they're all answering this question of what do we do with suffering? What is the nature of suffering? Why do we suffer? 
And I think I've taken a deep dive there because I find in our culture, there is this push to deny it, to kind of chase happiness, to chase um, feeling good as if the, the only way to be is a state of, of I have to be happy in order to be okay. And so I talk with people a lot about like your baseline is I'm okay. Your baseline is I have awareness about how I am in this moment with my head, my heart, and my body. So I'm kind of rambling here, but you know, this question of suffering, why do we suffer? We suffer because we're human. We just suffer because that's part of human vulnerability. No one's doing well. Okay. So let me back up for a second. There's a lot of, um, kind of spiritual practice around, is God punishing me? I noticed that a lot in our culture. Mm. And and I like looking at suffering from a psychological perspective because it's just human nature. It's not that an outside force is coming down and striking us. Mm-hmm. And so this is where we get into resilience, right? Because if we're looking at, okay, we suffer because we're human, we also experience joy because we're human and hope and love and connection and resilience, our ability to learn and grow. So the the kind of the cosmic payoff there is that we move that suffering into wisdom, mm. into a more fulfilling existence. I feel like one of the biggest things I've realized through my cancer experience is this shift from seeing things in black and white. Like I'm either happy or I'm sad or I'm well or I'm sick or, you know, like this, like this, these two different things. And when I could no longer like be necessarily like cured of cancer, I really started to realize how much wellness and sickness are intertwined suffering and joy. And I, the best way I can explain it as I've tried to articulate this experience of being human is that I have learned how to hold both joy and pain in the same hand at the same time. That's the experience of being human. It's not that there's like joy or sad, you know, like we think of things like so like black and white sometimes, but really this experience is like, it's all just jumbled and mixed in together. I'm yeah, I've got chills. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, that's what it is, right? That's mm-hmm. what it's all about. It's the complexity it's holding. It's having the space and the capacity to hold complexity. Mm-hmm. And that is a wisdom process. That's a growth process. Mm-hmm. We definitely are not born with that. I definitely wasn't born with that. I was very like happy. I mean, I I I I often say like I've learned this through my experience. Like it's the way I've had to cope. It's the way I've had to move forward with joy in the midst of a stage four terminal cancer diagnosis. And that I would give it all away and be completely oblivious to this enlightenment if, in a second if I could, but I can't. And so I'm so – it's just – it's been it's been something I, I can't – you know, like I, I, I wonder – it's hard to come to that without the experience. But I think by having the conversation and presenting the idea and have people think – like – if you haven't had a, a traumatic experience that's like forced you into 
realizing this through a lot of, in my case, a lot of counseling and a lot of reflection and a lot of journaling and a lot of crying and laughing and all the things. I mean, like this realization came through a lot of hard work that you can also kind of start to see it in different pieces just by hearing it as a concept. Yeah. I ask people just to stop and, and listeners, you can just try this little science experiment right now. Just if you tune in in any given moment to how we're feeling, it's, it's almost always going to be a range. Even if one emotion rises to the top, there's a range. If we just sit in the quiet with what's happening. So just let's take a moment to check in. Okay, so like right now, I'm feeling, I'm feeling joy at my connection with you and just feeling a lot of love and, and kind of this radiant feeling of your journey. And at the same time, I feel nervous about being on a podcast, <laughs> you know, and at the same time, I feel, um, you know, I can feel that kind of foreboding in the background, that that little bit, that current of anxiety and foreboding that has just sort of been running since pandemic. Because mm-hmm. it's, you know, I'm very aware that it's, I have a trauma history and it's lighting up that memory mm-hmm. in me. Mm-hmm. And that's all natural. So, so this is the whole package, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm naming a full range and because I'm human because I'm an adult human, right? We have to let our brains grow. But once we make it into adulthood, it's like we have the capacity to hold complex emotions. It's not, you know, black and white. That polarity thinking is what is tearing apart our country mm-hmm. right now. Yes. Like all or nothing. Mm-hmm. You're with us or against us. My team, your team. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Shelly, like, my brain just like was like, that's it. That is, that's what I think. Maybe why I've, I've been like so like heartbroken recently is I'm like, where's the the collaboration, the allowing for like, I believe this and you believe this and we don't like the polar opposites. We've be, It's this idea of this polarity that is tearing apart so many experiences. That's so true. Not only in our hearts and, but in our relationships and in our world, I hadn't thought about it in that way. Yeah. Well, it's, I have a little phrase that's been going in my mind lately of since when did our country become every day is the Super Bowl? Mm. And I don't mean the fun part of the Super Bowl. I mean, the part where you see (laughs) fans fighting to the death, screaming, gearing up, you know, um, you're on my team or you're nothing kind of mentality. And it's, and it's, we say it's a game when it comes to sports and our culture, but through social media, through, uh, you know, just the way we're set up, we are picking teams right now. And we have been, I'm hoping, I'm hoping this collective trauma and the next phase we're moving into, people will start to receive calm again, where they can see clearly that complexity because Okay, that's where I'm going with this. Survival brain. When we're stuck in survival brain, we're actually programmed to go into that polarity. Mm. It's a it's a fight or flight. It's a it's a natural response to defend ourselves. Okay. But the issue is we don't have a bear coming after us about to eat us. We have, you know, a political disagreement or we have 
a complex issue with um, understanding the virus. I mean, there's, you know, fight and flight's not going to fix <laughs> the issue we're in. Mm-hmm. So that is what happens when you're in this crisis, survival mode. Then how do you move from the survival mode to coping? Like this, the step of managing this this feeling. Like, what are some things that people can do for themselves to help feel they are, they can move out of the crisis into the coping, and 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 maybe by extension, our country can move out of the crisis and into the coping. <laughs> you know, this is where. Um, do you want me to explain my three blocks that we talked yeah. about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that this is really interesting because, as, again, like I said, like just giving space to like have this conversation and put words to the experience, I think helps us have perspective. Let's talk about that for a second. Okay. So for the listeners who are not in on our previous coffee, <laughs> um, <laughs> but we're glad you're joining us now. Yes. I was sharing that I, I am a a clinical counselor, but I also do consulting and coaching. And my role with people, it, it's there's some overlap and there's some difference. So for my uh, profession, I really had to figure this out. What are the um, most general kind of steps or movements we go through as humans and where can I serve and how am I serving? So to simplify that for people I work with, I came up with sort of three stages. Stage one, um, and this is where the more classic, this is where counselors come in and normally help. Stage one is usually someone is in a crisis. Um, They're in a crisis moment or they're stuck in survival mode. So the difference is your crisis is whatever is happening, whatever you've just found out about, whatever you've just been through. Stuck in survival mode is the accumulation. It's chronic toxic stress. Mm-hmm. It's chronic relational trauma. It's it's things that build over time. And just an f- interesting fact about our brains and bodies, when we've been through chronic overtime trauma or, or even in the past a crisis, our brains will kind of determine when we are in a safe space to process so it's, it's really common that people will get into this sort of stuck survival mode years after an event has happened mm. because at some level, their brain, their body is ready to process it out. Mm. So that's another way people get into therapy is they are, they just feel stuck. They know they need some kind of shift, but they're not sure how to get it. So then my profession and many others come in and help move to that next level, which is coping and management. Um, And actually before that is stabilization. Mm -hmm. You know, if somebody is highly anxious, if we are feeling, um, if any of us are feeling like our distress is greater than what we can manage on a daily basis, then we need to find our ground. Mm -hmm. Just think of it like that. Mm. And once we find our ground and we start kind of rebuilding our foundation Then we look at coping and management skills. So the thing about coping skills, it is a huge range. I never have kind of a handout for people of here's what you need to do. It's it's so custom created to the person 
their lifestyle. I would say if there's, if I did narrow it down to, because I could narrow it down to maybe like three things that everybody has to do for coping. And because you asked that question, what do we do? Mm-hmm. Um, one would be regulating your nervous system. So this is like mindfulness, breath regulation. It's um, understanding at the body level what you've been through and how to calm your body. It's it's telling your body over time, we're actually okay in this moment. We're out of the crisis. Or we have a new roadmap for how we're going to manage this crisis. So that would be the regulation part. The next would be support. Find supportive community. Find the things that support you in your daily life. Um, We're not designed to get through this world by ourselves. Mm -hmm. We are designed, our brains, our brain architecture actually changes when we're in relationship with people. Mm. So we grow according to those around us. So it makes it really important who we're surrounding ourselves with. Oh my gosh, that's fascinating to me. Our brains actually say that part again, like, like physiologically, we like, it's not just that we need a meal train and, and friends. <laughs> it's like to help us through, like we literally like physiologically, that's my very sciencey. I love it. <laughs> physiologically, like change through, through supportive experiences. Yeah. Our, the, my favorite term for it is our brain architecture. Cause mm-hmm. I love that idea of mm-hmm. architecture Our um, there's so much happening in our brains that there's a plasticity, there's a flexibility where we are growing and we grow in connection with others. Mm -hmm. So um, imagine, and if anybody's interested in the more uh, going further with this, this is from the field of interpersonal neurobiology. And the number one person there to study is Dr. Dan Siegel. I love him. I was able to work with him be in a class with him in Los Angeles for a year. And it was just highlight of my life. Mm. I just, I, I w- I'm going to, I'm going to check that out. I think that's so, it's so interesting that they're like, what we feel is truly like an extension of what's really happening, like in our bodies. I have said like through this pandemic and through this like isolation and, and time that we've had to be apart that I've never, like I realized how much we belong to each other, like how, by the removal of that, like h- how much we really need each other. Like we've, we have learned that we belong to each other in ways we never would have when we were just like going through the motions before, like when that's removed, that support system is removed. I mean, I felt such a loss. I felt such a loss in my isolation and, and I was fortunate to have my family and, you know, my children and like my little group, but that extension of a network and a community that I realized was so much a part of how I coped. Oh, I'm, I'm right there with you. I even felt um, like when I hear you say that in my own life, I feel like our school, you know, you talked about us being on committee. I had no idea how much our school was the supportive, beautiful community mm-hmm. for my life. Mm-hmm. And, and even just walking through the door yeah. after I dropped my kid off and you know, grabbing a coffee and saying hi yeah. to Miss Jones and saying hi to the teachers who pass by and they know me and they know my kid. And, you know, that that kind of wraparound sense of love oh. and community. I miss it so much. I'm Yeah, I miss that. So, so containers are important, right? The 
we hold space for each other. Mm-hmm. Any conversation we're in, you can imagine, like right now, we're holding space mm-hmm. for each other. Mm-hmm. And then and then an actual community holds a bigger space. Mm. So it's it's critical to developing our resilience. They're actually, I'm looking on my wall at one of my taped up notes. <laughs> um, there are nine, I just think this is fascinating. There are nine functions um, of our cognitive ability that get developed when we are in in relationship with other people, when we build our resilience, we cultivate resilience. And do you want to hear some of them? Because they're so interesting. Yes, I do. Okay. So um, empathy. So our ability to feel and sense somebody else's experience. Morality. Mm-hmm. So our moral our moral compass, our values, our beliefs, mm-hmm. um, our intuition, mm. which intuition is cultivated. A lot of people think, oh, my gut, my gut reaction I'm born with. Mm-hmm. No, this your intuition is, um, it is like a gut reaction, but it's actually the accumulation of your wisdom mm-hmm. over time expressing itself. Kind of this reminder, of, you've been through a lot in this world, and so have the people around you. So when we're developing our resilience and community, We are using that empathy and compassion, and we're pulling for the intuitive wisdom of the whole, not just us. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. So it's like when we need a girls' night, we don't just need rosé. We like, like, we literally need it. We need to be in community with our friends, like, because it's not just, it's not just about the rosé, right? It's like, this is what we're missing. And this is why we're it's physically feeling this like loss. Completely. It's a major, um, you know, the people in our lives who can just give us that unconditional space, mm. they're a mirror to who we are without judgment. Mm. And that's essential. We have to have space to just not be perfect because nobody's perfect. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. then we find out who we really are when we can just be free and kind of assess um And that's another thing on here, insight. Mm. So, you know, we have to be, we need kind of a relaxed space to cultivate our insight Mm -hmm. and awareness. Um, But also, this is another one of my favorites, fear modulation. So when we're alone, we're much more likely to amp up fear Mm -hmm. than when we're with a group, a supportive community or a group where we can bounce our ideas off of Mm -hmm. one another and we can feel we can draw from somebody else's strength mm-hmm. in the moment. Like when we can't find our own, we draw from somebody else's until we get ours back and then we give it back to them. Oh. There's a reciprocity. Yes. Oh my gosh. So much. Yes. Which I think is part of what, there's so many reasons why it's hard right now in the pandemic. But like I think about, I go to my cancer treatment center every month for treatment and I used to go with someone. And I can no longer bring a guest with me. And those appointments are so much harder, not just because I'm, you know, like not chit-chatting with my friend about this or that, but like I sit in my fear and I sit in my stress and my anxiety and I don't have, I don't have that other person to, to experience it with. And, and, oh my God, the fear is so much more when I am just alone, in those appointments. Oh, 
it's good to know that it's not just because I like to like catch up on what my friends' kids are doing and like use my time. It's like I really am, really am like the experience is so much harder alone. Oh, that's like the whole the whole thing. Like that's what I mean by like we belong to each other and in ways we never could have known before until it was taken away. Because there is such beauty in that community and and connection with each other and and sharing the weight of our burdens and not just carrying them by ourselves. Mm. Well, and as you say this, and I'm feeling what you're saying, I'm looking at all of the beautiful scarves behind you. (laughs) I mean, this is the thing. This is what you do, right? Like you create that hope to let people know they're not alone. And that scarf is a reminder of the ancestors, the Mm -hmm. lineage, Mm -hmm. the everybody who's been before us that we gain as we're doing trauma work, it's not just, you know, it's not just what we've been through and, and what happened to us that is negative. It's everything positive and beautiful that's accumulated along the way as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. But yes, it's still hard to sit alone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's worthy, right? Like there's a worthy, there's a discipline in that. And it's just not the whole piece. It's just being alone as a part of the piece, being with ourselves as a part of the piece. We grow within community. Mm-hmm. So true. Okay. So you shared, you said there were kind of like three pieces of, of coping, regulating the nervous system and mindfulness, mm-hmm. support that we're not designed to get through this together. What's the third piece? Um, well, that's funny because again, I let go of my notes. So let me think. <laughs> Um, we could just say it's two. I mean, that was pretty like mind blowing and just right there. <laughs> well, you know, hang on, hang on, because I know there's something because I'm always saying all kinds of things to people. Let's see. Um, oh, goodness. Okay. So, so it's your, um, it's your mindset and self care. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's maybe those are two separate categories, but there really is, when we are going through something so hard, there is a discipline to working with it, right? It, it doesn't just happen. Like you said, you went into some really, you went into counseling, you've done a lot of growth work. Mm-hmm. So there are tools out there to help us. There are endless tools to help us. And so mindset work, um, people with higher levels of resilience, they're usually really curious. Mm about what's going on. Mm -hmm. They um, have a desire for connection to others. Even even if you're a huge introvert, there's still a desire for connection, usually with people who, again, that suspended judgment, you know, loving support. Um, But with mindset, there's also a a commitment to perspective taking. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a commitment to asking that question of, here's my suffering and what am I learning from it? Mm. I may not want it. I certainly didn't deserve it. And here we are. So what am I learning? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And and then the self-care piece. So, okay, we'll we'll, we'll round this up with four, right? So self-care is restorative self-care. And now this is a big deal because a lot of, I tell you, if I hear, if I see one more article on telling a woman to go take a bath or paint her nails, I'm going to lose it. I <laughs> Well, the self-help world out there is like an industry in and of itself. And it's just almost sometimes like overwhelming, like 
just, you know, all the things you can do to make yourself happy and stay positive. And like, it's just like a machine. Oh, it's a billion dollar industry. I mean, it's multi-billion dollar industry. Yeah, I know. We, and it's, and it, it's very, um, in our culture, there's this message of we're not enough. Like we always need something. Mm -hmm. And so that gets really dangerous when it gets into self-care because there's plenty of things out there offering it to you. Like you're always seeking the thing. Like yes. this like this thing is going to solve it if I do these yes. things. Right? That's the whole that's the whole like idea of the self-care industry. Yeah. Yes. So I would say when people come I do a lot of public speaking and I have more conversations on my way to the bathroom. <laughs> like in between, we'll take a break and I'll try to make it to the bathroom and then people are pulling me aside. And those are often the most interesting conversations as well. But it's usually um, just tell me what I have to do, right? Yeah. Like tell me that thing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, when people hire me for stress reduction for their businesses, they're like, just tell us the three things to do. Right. Just, you know, I <laughs> right. quick fix. I just do this. I'll be okay. I just need a quick fix. And that's what we're sold in this culture. We're sold that that's actually a thing when sustainable, shifting suffering into wisdom, that sustainable path, it is a process over time. Mm -hmm. It's the long game. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely no quick fix. Mm. But it's possible. But it's, it's not only is it possible, it makes it rewarding mm -hmm. when you're investing in yourself each day in a way that feels um, that you're coming back into integrity with who you are. And that's what I mean by restorative. Mm -hmm. So when we practice things that restore us, and again, you find your own list, right? Like that could be like for me, a walk around the park with my friends, right? Um, making sure I get enough water in the day and vitamins. It's Stopping, I do have a strong meditation practice. So stopping to breathe, mm -hmm. even five minutes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's finding the things that we stop and we're aware of what we're experiencing and we just name it accurately and we come back into integrity with who we are. Mm -hmm. It's different from a distraction. Mm -hmm. And distractions are good, right? right. Like, There's a place for that too. Yeah, There's a place totally, for Netflix binging and coping. Uh, Netflix, yes, last <laughs> night, watching Netflix last night. Um, yeah, so distraction is important. But what I tell people is do the restorative piece before the distraction because mm -hmm. the distraction is never going to fix your anxiety or stress. It's like, and in fact, that's how you know it's a distraction when you're done. It all rushes back in. Right. When you scroll through Instagram for 20 minutes and then you feel like even more <laughs> overwhelmed with like the thing you were trying to avoid, which took exactly. you to the device and then you lost 25 minutes of your life because you were like <laughs> went down this rabbit hole. Uh, oh, my gosh. Shelly, there's I mean, this is why I'm so glad to just pause and, and have this conversation with you, because I feel like. As I said at the start, like every time I talk to you, you make me think, you help me frame some of the experiences that I've had. You put this perspective onto things as a professional that I loved to see that there's like the science and and research behind this, some of these experiences and feelings that we've had. Um, gosh, I mean, we've talked about all kinds of stuff this morning, but I just, I, I think that there's so many pieces here that people can take away and, and think about and process and just reflect on. Um, I think the, the idea 
that we come back to a lot in this podcast is turning heartbreak into hope, that mm-hmm. it's not the absence of the pain that creates the joy, though, I mean, overcoming trauma and, and getting, you know, finding the light at the end of the tunnel is a joy full experience that for me and for so many other people that I connect with through Hope Scarves and My Hopeful Life, it's not about finding the light at the end of the tunnel. It's about bringing the light into the darkness and even beyond that, creating that light from yourself and radiating it into the darkness. That is what we're trying to to figure out in this experience of being human. Uh, Yes, yes, yes. And that you just rounded us out perfectly because I don't know if our listeners caught this, but we were talking about kind of three steps mm-hmm. moving from crisis and being stuck in survival. Then we move into stabilize and learn coping skills and management. And you're naming the third box, the third phase that I like for people to move into, all of us to move into, and that is transformation and thriving. Mm. And you've defined it. I mean, it's, transformation and thriving to be in a sustainable state of that where we stabilize in the transformation and the thriving space that means we are you know living from our light each day we're not waiting on some big grand light Mm -hmm. because that's not being very present right Mm -hmm. if we're waiting for the light at the end of the tunnel so we pull that light in and we um be from that deep, sustained wisdom space each day the best we can, knowing that there are going to be days where we fall back into crisis or survival, or we end up like, all I can do today is cope. I'm thinking about these stair steps that you just talked about, crisis to coping to transformational living and thriving. And I'm seeing it in my own world as like shoots and ladders. Like, <laughs> like I'm like climbing that and then I hit something and it's like I hit that block with the chute and I got to go down like 27 spaces and I'm back in the crisis. <laughs> so it's not like you just like climb the steps and you're like there and it's like, la la and you're like, fine, you know, like around the mountaintop. It's it's a constant shoots and ladders experience of, of going through these steps and falling back down and going through them again. Right. Or. Is it just me? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, one, I have an eight-year-old, so I'm familiar with the game very much. So um, I'm really grateful you said that because, um, again, we are in this achieving, striving culture where we keep thinking, like, one day I'll get there. I'll arrive. Right? I'll arrive. I'll be at the next space. And that's not really how it works for sustainable living. We, And that's not really how it works in the human psyche. I mean, we are all over the place. I One thing, anybody with a trauma background, you know that something can, in fact, trigger those old feelings, emotions. It can light up your um, body memory it, to some level of, of whatever it is you've been through. Mm-hmm. And so then it's like, there you are again. Okay, what is this? Mm-hmm. I am triggered. I need to use my skills. I need to get back to stabilization. And then tomorrow I'll look for my joy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but my favorite image is from John Kabat-Zinn, who is um, really sort of the father of mindfulness in the United States. He really brought it here and put it on the map in a major academic way, which allowed all of these disciplines to 
open up and, and take on mindfulness as an academic discipline. So he talks about the mountain. So growth, developmental growth is like you're hiking a mountain, but you're not rock climbing. You're not going straight up. Instead, you are in a spiral. So you are hiking around, slowly around the mountain. So you do come back to the same issues mm. in your life mm. over and over, but you are at a higher elevation mm. each time. Mm. And I always have clients worried about this. I, I always get the call like, oh my goodness, this thing happened and I totally regressed. Mm-hmm. And I say, you didn't regress, you have enough awareness around it where you're just coming in from a higher perspective. So let's use all of your wisdom, everything you've learned in your journey, and let's get you back into integrity with who you are, that sense of inner balance. Mm. Oh my gosh, that is so profound. (laughs) Like just and reassuring (laughs) that I think we sometimes want to be the rock climber. We want the quick climb up the mountain. We want the easy, shortest (laughs) distance between point A and point B. But that we are taking the trail and that as we go, we're building our coping skills and we might fall back, but we've grown and we've raised the elevation a little bit every time, even though we might end up back in that peak place. And even just like acknowledging it, that's the process, is reassuring that you aren't regressing. You're you're still stronger further along. And it's okay that you're back in the crisis. You're gonna. You didn't lose all the ground you worked on. You're gonna. You're using that to build yourself back up. Oh gosh. Yeah. Mm. This is process oriented living, and I would love mm. to. I know we're probably wrapping up soon, but I would love to actually give our listeners um, a definition of resilience that. I spent a lot of time thinking through and I wrote down. Do it. Do it. So (laughs) good. So um, I kept researching. I I give talks on resilience to businesses and schools. And so I've done a lot of research. And so often you hear this definition of it's bouncing back. Mm. You know, resilience means you, you go through something, adversity, and you bounce back. But that's not really, when you dig into the research, that's not really what it is. That's not really what is going on. And anyone who's been through trauma knows you can never go back. Once you've been through something that has lifted the veil or, or just, you know, challenged your entire way of being in the world, you're not going back. You're moving forward into like the 2.0, mm. the 3.0 yes. version of yourself. Yes. And you're taking all of the wisdom with you. So I wrote this definition that resilience is not exactly about bouncing back after trauma or chronic stress. More accurately, it's a capacity cultivated throughout the lifespan that involves processing emotions, perspective taking, connecting and reciprocating in healthy relationships, integrating the experience, and then moving forward with greater wisdom. Mm. Oh my gosh. It just seemed to fit everything we've talked about. It does. It does. It just wraps it all up. And I love that idea that it's not just bouncing back because I do think that Mm -hmm. that simplicity is like, and even when we talk about like teaching our children to be resilient, it's like get knocked down and get back in. But it's so much broader than that. Oh, my gosh. Well, so I think we've given people so much to think about today. <laughs> I just love this conversation and I love that we have made space 
for just reflecting and and thinking about all of this because we're all going through some kind of experience of uncertainty right now. And I know there are pieces of this conversation that are going to resonate with people. And I am so grateful for you taking time to share your wisdom. I'm so glad I have such smart friends. <laughs> um, it's just been a, so great. I'm, I am really thankful for you taking time to, to, to share these ideas and open up people's minds to this broader kind of understanding of this experience that we're all facing right now. Oh my gosh. Shelly, thank you so much. Can we shift to a quick little lightning round? Yeah, sure. Let's see how your resilience plays out here, my friend. Uh -uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is easy. Is this just a couple quick questions. I just like to wrap up with some fun questions. Fill in the blank. Hope is. Everywhere. Mm. Yes. We know a hopeful life is not just realized in the perfect happy moments, but also in the struggle. When you are in one of those hard moments, what gets you through? Ah, the people who love me, who deeply love me. The connection. Mm-hmm. Besides these people, <laughs> your family, friends, faith, and phone, what is something you can't live without? Oh. Uh, my mindfulness practice. <laughs> and maybe some good poetry. Ooh, yeah. Yes. Some people call it a bucket list. I call it a wonder list. What is on your wonder list that will make your hopeful life complete? Uh, when we can um, travel again to big, big nature. We lived in the West for a while and where my husband and I are just missing the grand landscape, mm -hmm. national parks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I hear you. Well, Shelly, thank you for enlightening all of us with your wisdom and the ideas that you bring to help us reflect on this experience and for the perspective that you have. I'm so grateful that we've taken time to have this conversation today. It really, it's, it's opened up my eyes and my heart and I am so grateful for this opportunity. Oh, it's a joy to be here. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our stories. I hope you take away something you can apply to your hopeful life. Help keep the hopeful life momentum going by sharing our podcast and take a minute to rate and write a review. If you'd like to learn more, check out our websites, myhopefullife.org and hopescarves.org.